0: kids. I'm going to tell you what this passage is going to be about, what the sermon's going to be about. Okay, ready? Here we go. Ready. Last year, I told you all how big of a deal names are. You all remember that? And we went through, and I told you what each of your names meant. Uh, it, it, like one possible meaning of your names. Uh, names mean stuff, whether whether or not we know it. Maybe, maybe your parents know the meaning of your name, but I, I've got the meanings of all of your names, or at least one meaning. Who remembers the meaning of their name from last year? Anybody? Colby. Uh, I mean, like my name. Yes, Colby. What does Colby mean? I mean Colby actually means swarthy, person settlement. swarthy person settlement. That's good. I am simplified Community. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Peyton. <laughs> what does your name mean? Royalty. Loyalty? Royalty. Which is there's loyalty, yeah, sorry, you probably heard me say royalty. Do you like that more than loyalty? No, that's oh, okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Okay. Andy Blake, do you know what your name means? Yes, your middle name is Blake. My name is Blake. You know what our name also can mean? There's one version that means fair-haired, white. There's another uh, meaning that uh, what what? What did I say? fair-haired. It can mean white. It can also mean black. Anna Catherine thinks that's really funny for some reason. We're going to find out why later. Okay, what else? Who else? Anybody else remember their name? Charlie. What does Charlie mean? Charlie, do you know what Charlie means? I'll tell you. I, I, Charlie means free man. That's pretty cool. William, what does William mean? <laughs> that's good yes resolute protector that means like yeah you were sanders sanders you're here aren't you is he oh he's not here oh okay sisters you're gonna go home and tell sanders very similar his name means defender of the people it's also awesome okay how about this y'all try to figure this one out um do you have to pay for those donuts out there or are they francis (laughs) what does francis mean free one yes like charlie it's very similar to yes very good okay uh how about this one i can't i can't see anything in here it's so dark can you turn on the luke luke means light bam henry y'all want to know what henry means this is a good this is a good one henry your name means house ruler now, it is really, really interesting. Your brother sitting next to you on your right, Graham, his name means, it's like a great awesome home or reminder of home. So if you're the house ruler and he's, <laughs> that's cool, uh, y'all can figure that out. Uh, who else? Who, 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 who are we not doing? Uh, Richard, do you remember what your name means? No? Come on, Richard. Powerful king. That also applies to the home. Yes. Elizabeth, do you remember what your name means? Elizabeth, your name means my God is plenty. That is awesome. Who else? Who, who have we not done? Who, grace. Let's see, we've got Grace, and we got Grace. Grace Donovan and Grace Erwin. Uh, grace, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> who knows what Grace means? This is a big one. Grace, yeah, okay, but what does Grace mean? D, they, they know. My R, former RUF students demerited favor not unmerited demerited like you've done everything uh on the on the wrong and you still get awesome favor grace is a big one anybody else who have we not done john william i see you back there john william do you remember yours god's favored protector so you and william and sanders need to hang out later y'all are gonna take care of us who else uh ella ella okay same, same uh, as uh, no, 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 which one was it? It's dark in here. Turn on the Ella. Let's get a little Ella up in here. Light. <laughs> Ella also means light. Uh, who else? Who else? Let's get them all. Spencer, Spencer. Do you remember yours? I got yours. Spencer means provider. Means you take care of everyone. Yes, Druzy. Okay, Druzy, Got you. <clears throat> Sorry, y'all. Dearly beloved. That's awesome. Teddy. We got Teddy. Teddy, your name means gift of God. And you can look at your mom and say, you're welcome. Okay. Who else do we have? We'll do Olivia. And we have Mayfair, right? Is Mayfair not here? Okay. We all go home until Mayfair. Out in the lobby, the Mayfair is breaking through. Out in the lobby, sunshine. Okay, Clementine. Anybody know what Clementine means? Orange is good. And mercy. Mercy. Bly. Bly means gentle. Mary. That's awesome. Let's see, let's see. Do I have. I do. One second, let me find this. Y'all know what Evelyn means? Wished for child. You're the one I wished for. And Grace and Jordan William, y'all are awesome too. Who, we not, who, who haven't we done yet? Who haven't we done yet? I got them all. I got them all. Oh, Peyton, we did you. Oh, Olivia. Olivia, y'all guessed this one. Okay, Olivia, last one. Will you, uh, will you do me an Olivia and pick up Chick-fil-A for me? Favor. favor. Olivia, favor. Okay. Did we get, oh, no, we got, okay, Eloise. Eloise, we're going to do the Whitley girls. Eloise, thriving bam! That's what I want my name to be. Uh, And then we got Charlotte and Olivia Ann. Oh, we did Olivia. Olivia Ann, that is favor. And then Charlotte is one who is free, like Charlie. That's awesome. Okay. Jax, we got Jax. Jax here. Jax, Jack Bird, John Olasky. God has been gracious. That is an awesome proclamation. Okay. Did we get everybody? we did Annie Blake. Annie. Oh, Annie means favored one. Annie Blake, Annie Olasky, favored one. Shocker. Yes. Druzy. What's that? And Annabelle. Yes. We have Annabelle. Annabelle, gracious, loving. Okay. And Maisie, she's not here. I'll tell her later. Okay. Uh, So your names mean stuff. Super, super important, your names. And, and go home and ask your parents, hey, why did you name me? what you name me? Uh, I'm sure there's a story there. Do y'all know what Jesus' name means? Anybody know what Jesus' name means? Holy, Holy. close. Messiah, Messiah, no. Son of God, no. Love, no. <laughs> it means, it means the Lord saves is that a good name for Jesus? Why? Why why is that a good name for Jesus? Come on. The Lord saves. saves Because he saves, which means Jesus is the Lord and he saves. That's a perfect name for Jesus. Love that name for Jesus. Okay, great. Who does he save and what does he save us from? What does he save us from? Sin. Y'all are nailing this. That is so, okay. But that, here's what that Jesus' name means, the Lord who saves us from sin. Do you know what his name says about you? His name, his name tells you a lot about you too. What does his name tell you? That you're sinners. <laughs> That's good. Which is not like the most fun thing to be called at all. Except, yes, you're a sinner, but you're the one that Jesus loves so much, he was willing to come to save you. And if you know what he, it cost him to save you, then you really know how much he loves you because he had to give up everything to save you. He had to come down from heaven, kids, be born as a little baby, grow up to be man, and live perfectly, and then die for your sins in order to save you and make you his own. That's how much he loves you. That's why his name is so awesome, and it is so the best name for Jesus, uh, because he really does save us. All right, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, for Advent, yeah, Advent is this thing of Hey, Jesus' first Advent when he came the first time. We're looking forward to his second Advent when he's coming again. For this Advent, I want to consider some of those Christmas stories that others have. Others have that you don't hear much about, but are awesome and, and super Christmassy. That's why the, the title in your bulletin is like, Others' Christmas Stories. um, Other people's Christmas stories that you just are not super familiar with. That's what we're going to do This advent. Please stand for the reading of God's word, which comes from Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. so most people know uh, the baby Jesus story from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, that's the one most people are most familiar with. Uh, Luke, in his account, has inspired more hymns. It's inspired more like theological treatises and works, theological reflections on the incarnation. It is inspired—Luke has inspired more artwork than this account. There are 95 verses in Luke about the birth of Jesus. There are only 31 verses in Matthew. So you get like three times as much material in Luke than you have right here. And, and, Luke highlights— Jesus, and mommy. Matthew highlights baby Jesus and Joseph, who isn't even the real father. When you approach friends uh, who are expecting, like you know they're expecting uh, a baby, you, you don't, the, the first thing you're not doing is going up to the dad and saying, oh, how are you and, and how are you feeling as you give a nod to their belly? Like, who cares? Like, who cares how the dad is doing? comparatively speaking, to the mom. Like, (laughs) no one cares. Uh, So, compared to how mom is doing, no one, yeah, yeah. So, this is one of those Christmas stories, Joseph's Christmas story that you don't hear much about, but we do need to. There are actually only a few cases, only a few, like, not even a handful of divine birth announcements in the Bible. So, when you hear about like an angel coming and announcing the birth of a, of a baby coming. It's this big flashing, it's like a big deal. Hey, pay attention. Because these divine births are always connected to miracle babies who end up being really, really important. In the Old Testament, you got Isaac and Samson. Uh, in the New Testament, you got John the Baptist and you got baby Jesus. But Jesus's birth is the big, 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 big miracle birth. And it's different from all the others because all the other moms, they were barren. Mary, Jesus's mom is not barren. She's a virgin. It's that whole incarnation thing, the miraculous virgin conception and birth of Jesus. And that like, it's such a big deal. And the big like dealness of this miracle is explained by the name given to baby Jesus. And the, like, the bigness, the big dealness of Jesus' name is also explained by the miracle. So you think about the name. In verse 21, when the angel comes to Joseph, he says, Mary will bear a son, and she, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. The name Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament version, uh, Hebrew Joshua. So Jesus, Joshua, that name means the Lord saves. And we know, we know that this was a super common name in the first century. Which is kind of like, oh, that's Debbie Downer. Because like, I want Jesus' name to be unique. I want it to just be Jesus' name. It's, it's, the difference is, the difference is for every other person who ever lived and was named Jesus, Joshua, Jesus, some version of that name, The meaning of their name referred to the Lord who saves. And the angel comes, and he tells Joseph, for this baby, the name Jesus will be self-referential. Like, call him Jesus, for he will save his people. The angel says, this miracle baby is the one who's going to Jesus his people. So call him Jesus. And what is he going to save his people from? <sighs> Their sins. And that is just, talk about Debbie Downer moments, like that is just the biggest Debbie Downer presentation of the gospel ever. We just take like, what's the gospel about? It's about your sin. People hate that. We hate that. It's always been like when a group, when it, there's this group that goes to find Jesus and they've got their paralytic friend, they go through all this trouble. They, they know where Jesus is, but he's in the middle of this huge crowd. It takes them forever to break through the crowd. They can't get in the house. They go up on the roof. They break through the roof while Jesus is in the middle of sermonizing and they lower their friend down and a hush falls on the crowd as Jesus looks down on this poor man and Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven, and it's such a wah wah moment. Intentionally, uh, accept, accept. Uh, I mean, you hear this angel say, oh, "Here's here's the savior, here's the savior, and he's gonna forgive your sins." It just sounds it sounds lame. It sounds cliche. Except, y'all remember if you remember your Shakespeare, remember your Shakespeare and your Hamlet. Uh, and Polonius comes to the queen uh, to tell her what's wrong uh, with her son, Hamlet, And, and he just will not cut to the chase. This is what he says, my liege and madam, to expostulate what majesty should be, what duty is, why day, day, night, night, and time is time, we're nothing but to waste both night, day, and time. And since brevity is the soul of wit and tediousness, the limbs and outward flourishes, I will be brief. You're supposed to laugh there. That's the comedy. It says, your noble son is mad. Mad call I it for to divine true madness was is what is but to be nothing else but mad. And the queen, she breaks in. She interrupts him and she says, more matter, less art. Like get to the point. Because there is, there's something, there's something really wonderful about people, real or fictional, who can get to the heart of the matter succinctly, powerfully, clearly. Winston Churchill uh, was reminded of some of these awesome quotes. Winston Churchill, the British prime minister during World War II, he's one of those gifted, uh, quick-witted communicators. And it's not just in his political discourses just with friends, just in common conversation. He just he knew how to turn a phrase. Is it, so at one point, he's, uh, he's about to address a big crowd. He's up on stage, and another statesman leans over to him and says to him, doesn't it thrill you, Mr. Mr. Churchill, to see all those people out there who just came to see you? And Churchill, he immediately responds without like, missing a beat, says, it is quite flattering, but whenever I feel this way, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as large. And once he got this cheeky telegram, because that's how they say it, uh, from this playwright and political activist, George Bernard Shaw. And he said this. He sends this to Churchill. He says, I'm reserving two tickets for you on opening night of my new play. Come, bring a friend if you have one. And then Churchill responds, sends a telegram right back. He says, impossible for me to attend opening night first performance. Would like to attend second night if there is one. You know, oh, burn them, got them good. This is just like, this is Churchill. And, you know, he's uh, quoted as saying, you know, stop interrupting me while I'm interrupting you. Um, Just love the turn of phrase. This angel is undoubtedly more brilliant, more gifted of a communicator than Shakespeare and Churchill. And he gets to the point with Joseph. Call this baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And it does beg the question, okay, what is our biggest problem today? It, like another school shooting. A guy driving through a crowd of people. All the hate, suspicion, fighting, death, destruction, opposing political convictions on the way forward for our country. And then there's COVID, and there's Omicron, and there's Delta, and there's the next variant. How about just going back to see other people, uh, to say nothing? Like, how about getting back to school, getting back to work, finding uh, a better treatment, finding better testing, all this COVID stuff. And then there's the flu, and then there's cancer. There's unemployment, underemployment, supply chain, broken families, loneliness, loneliness neglected, abused kids. There's just busyness. There's stress. There's anxiety. There's depression. There's overcommitment. And it gets so much worse. there are horrific murders and assaults and sweatshops and slavery and sex trafficking and greed and corruption and genocide in the biggest perversions of justice and truth by those who have the most power and influence and this happens all around the world every day and and so that is not to say hey look at your life and just know hey it could be worse in your life because that doesn't that doesn't help to just minimize your pain, your suffering. But what that is to say is, let's not be naive here. Let's not be naive. It is so much worse than we think it is out there, in here. And the danger in telling people it's worse elsewhere is you start to think, this isn't so much about you. Like, it's about worse people. Like this stuff, this Christmas stuff, this sin stuff. This word about saving us from our sins, uh, it, it, you tell yourself consciously, subconsciously, listen, you're a good person. This is about bad people. Like maybe the person sitting next to you or in that other row. The angel is not, min, is, the angel is not minimizing the awful stuff that you're going through. When he says it like this, And he won't let Joseph, and he won't let us be blinded by our felt needs. As in, the word about saving us from our sins is not a platitude. It is not a cliche. He knows what is killing us now. The angel knows what is going to destroy us forever. It's sin. The flip side, for those who know their sin, and think about their sin, and dwell on their sin and are beaten down by their sin? flip side is, do you believe, do you believe that Jesus can save you from all your sins? If you have taken a life, if you have destroyed someone financially, if you have destroyed a family, if you've abused alcohol, if you've abused sex, drugs, other people, friends, family, every... Every form of fear, every form of pride, every form of hatred, every form of selfishness, every form of arrogance, do you believe that Jesus can save you from your sin? Y'all, Christianity is boring when we think we're good people. It's so boring. Like the gospel is good news when we are confronted with the harsh and terrible and yes, super offensive reality that we are sinners in need of a savior. Then this gospel is really, 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 really good news. And the, the big dealness of this baby Jesus, uh, uh, being named Jesus is also explained by the miracle birth of this baby named Jesus because Jesus' miracles, they're not party tricks. Uh, they're not illusions. Uh, the miracles are, they are, think about, like, what do we think about miracles? A lot of times we think about, that, oh, they're a revelation. They reveal something to us about God. Yes, but even more than that, miracles are an inbreaking of final glory. That's what a miracle is. They are, miracles are intrusions into time and space from heaven. They're good intrusions. Miracles, are, because miracles are the in-breaking of heaven itself into this earthly space and time. And so so think, of, think of miracles from two dimensions. One, uh, heaven exi- like think about heaven. Heaven exists right now, and a miracle is an intrusion. It's a, think of it just spatially as a projection down from that present heavenly realm up there into this earthly realm down here. So it's a spatial intrusion. A miracle is, and a miracle is a temporal intrusion, as in it is a breaking in of the future of Judgment Day, into our present reality. So the miracles of Jesus, you know, everything from like you know turning water into wine and the calming of the sea and all like all his miracles, they are symbolic, symbolic of the breaking in of heaven, spatially temporarily, in anticipation. They are anticipations of that final kingdom reality. So you can think of miracles as like these prophetic promises of what is to come. Heaven to come. Okay, it's great. We love miracles. But the supreme intrusion of heaven, that's not just a symbol, but it is the real thing, the real thing of heaven breaking into our reality is Jesus himself. The son of God coming down from heaven, being born as a man in the incarnation. That is the supreme intrusion. In the person of Jesus, the son of God brings heaven to earth by showing up. So this birth, this birth, humanly speaking, is impossible. And yet we need this baby to save us. And that God, what he is showing us, is that the the working out of his salvation is something that no, no human here can accomplish. The big point is that God alone accomplishes our salvation from beginning to end. Jesus and his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, that saves us from our sins fully and finally. And and heaven also breaks in miraculously, truly, at the cross of Jesus. Heaven involves, yes, it involves eternal blessing. Heaven also involves final judgment for sinners. That final judgment was also intruded with Christ on the cross as he takes the penalty for our sins and he saves us from our sins. And that means that you this, the, all, that means you cannot divorce Jesus's birth from his death. There has to be a cradle because there had to be a cross. And this is another big difference between Jesus and all the other miracle babies. It's in like, how much harder, how much harder was Jesus's mission, to, even from the beginning, even from the beginning of his mission, than all the other miracle babies in their missions? When God comes in mercy, when he comes miraculously and gives the, these, these other barren women, like Sarah and, and Hannah and Elizabeth, he comes and he miraculously gives these barren women a child. It brings them, it brings them and their miracle child, joy and honor. Like immediately from their birth, these kids are big, big deals because they shouldn't exist. okay, But the birth of Jesus brought disgrace to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Jesus' miraculous birth is a scandal. All the other miracle babies, they're born into honor uh, to complete their God-given mission. Jesus lost all honor and glory to complete his from the beginning. It begs the question, okay, so what are we we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this Christmas message? What are we supposed to do with this? Would you look at Joseph, but I'm not saying be like Joseph. I really don't like applications that are, hey, here's a good person. Be like this good person. Those aren't good applications. I'm not saying be like Joseph because you're not going to marry the mother of the son of God, and you're not going to be the adoptive dad of God in the flesh, okay? But, but, look, look at Joseph. Because it says that they're, betrothed, it says they are betrothed, Joseph and Mary, but they've not come together yet. And this is like how a lot of, so we think about like, what is betrothed and like, how do they do that? It's a lot like how we do marriage today. This is not far-fetched. Like, you can understand this. When you get engaged today, the the couple starts acting like they are married in the sense of they start planning for life together. Like, where are we going to live? Okay. And how are we going to live? And what's the wedding going to be like? Like you start planning the wedding, this huge party that's going to cost money, tons of money. Uh, And you've already, you really have, when you get engaged, you've really already said your I do's. When you ask, will you marry me? Because I want to marry you. Will you marry me? And the other one says, yes, I will marry you. I mean, there it is. There's your, there's some vows right there. Uh, even if it takes a week to get that answer. But back in the day, uh, in first century, ancient Near East, they would get betrothed, only it was legal. Like when you got betrothed, legally you're married. It's like like actually having the wedding ceremony. You are married, and you'll spend, you get betrothed in the ancient Near East, first century, get betrothed, and then you're going to spend up to a year planning the wedding feast and planning becoming one family and moving in together. And after that, after the wedding feast, a year later, you move in together, you consummate the relationship physically. Between the betrothal and that wedding feast night of consummation, there is no physical relationship. It's like it's supposed to be in our engagements. There's no physical relationship there until, until it's time to consummate. So when Joseph finds out that his betrothed, his wife Mary, is pregnant the only thing he can conclude is she has been unfaithful. And so Joseph has two options according to the law. One, he can divorce her publicly. He can divorce her publicly, which means he go, they go to court and all of his bridegroom gifts, all the gifts he gave to her, they're returned to him. He's financially uh, 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 compensated. Uh, and his honor would be publicly, his name would be publicly restored, while hers would be done. Joseph goes with option number two, and he chooses to divorce her privately, to let her go, to let her go and possibly be with this other man, whoever he might be, and to not shame her, and to not demand financial restitution, And then the angel comes and gives Joseph this revelation. And now, Joseph is free to tell everyone about this dream. And what is everyone going to do? Everyone is going to assume he is marrying an adulteress. Oh, right, yeah, son of God, gotcha. You're marrying an adulteress who's carrying another man's child. Or they're going to assume that Joseph and Mary are covering up their shameful transgression with the most ridiculous of stories and they're just going to assume that everyone's such an you know a, a moron uh, that they're going to believe this stuff that they're that gullible not going to buy it that's what's going to happen when Joseph wakes up from this dream he knows it and he submits and his submission is not just a it's not just a Wow. Okay, sure, I'll believe that. Like this, it costs him to believe this. It costs him to submit to this. And for us, it really is like uh, another pastor's point. I love this, Brian Habe, it said It's like knowing the end of a movie, or you've read the end of a book. Like you, like and your friend hasn't. I mean, that's how we approach this story. Joseph doesn't know how this is going to end. Like it is so easy for us to read this as if Joseph knew the ending. He doesn't. Joseph is a real guy who has never heard of Christmas. Joseph has never seen a nativity scene. And yes, he's a devout Jew, and he knows Isaiah 7.14. He knows the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. I promise you, he did not wake up the morning before wondering, hmm, I wonder if that refers to Mary. Like, no, that is not—he is not thinking that. Like, how the Son of God took on flesh, became a man, how Jesus is fully God and fully man is still an awesome mystery today. And we are on this side of the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's Joseph. He's a real man with real feelings, and even though he is confused and undoubtedly hurting— even though he, it will cost him, he submits to this gospel. There was a, a best-selling book a few years ago. It claimed to be evangelical. The author, Rob Bell, wrote, he says, What if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry? Larry and that the virgin birth was just a bit of mythologizing the gospel writers threw in to appeal to the followers of the Mithra and Dionysian religious cults that were hugely popular at the time of Jesus. Could you still be a Christian? Is the way of Jesus still the best possible way to live? Or does the whole thing fall apart? If the whole faith falls apart when we re-examine and rethink one spring, then it wasn't that strong in the first place, was it? Here's Rob Bell saying that the virgin birth the virgin birth of Jesus it's irrelevant to you and to me because it has nothing to do with how you and I live. And Rob Bell and way, way, way too many others think that the gospel is about teaching you a way to live. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, now you go and do this and you will be saved. You Loved ones, please hear this. You are not your Savior. Your Bible reading, your prayers, your church attendance, your worship, your Bible studies, your discipline, your discipleship, all your church fellowship, that does not, it cannot, it will not save you. Your scheduling, your good parenting, your community service— your education, your job, your wealth, your poverty, your suffering, your sacrifice, that does not save you. Salvation is not a you thing. Salvation is not a God and you thing. Salvation is a God thing. It's a Jesus thing because it is Jesus who saves The gospel is Jesus was born to die to save you. And when it's difficult, and when it is confusing, and when it costs us, we've still got to submit to this gospel that tells us our greatest need and our greatest Savior, our only Savior, Jesus who saves. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that in your infinite wisdom, you've come to do what we cannot do for ourselves, that in your infinite mercy, you have come to do what we cannot do for ourselves, that by your grace, your son has come and done what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, what can we do but submit and believe and put our faith and our trust in this gospel today? Something is going to come up today, Lord, that is going to shake us. Father, we pray that you would help us hold on to Jesus in the midst of it, and then wake up tomorrow and submit again, and wake up the next day and submit again and again until your next Advent, until you come again or until you call us home. Lord, what else can we do but hold on to Jesus? We pray that you would bless us by your grace to do that by faith and to do that with one another, knowing that we're not alone. We pray this in Christ's name for his glory. Amen.